Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Next Sunday we'll pick up our study through 1 John. But during this Christmas season, um, we've been looking at why we celebrate Christmas. Because of Emmanuel, God with us, because our Savior, and because... He is the soon-coming King. Those are what we've looked at the last three Sundays. But this is after Christmas. The after-Christmas letdown, right? The tree looks forsaken and barren. The presents aren't under it. The goodies are not quite as appealing. They're getting old. The chocolate's turning a little white and... And um, the house is a wreck now. And and if you've had people come, then they leave. And it's just like it's quiet. And now what? Le- yesterday I looked at a, a pan of caramels. And there was only a couple rows of caramels left. And, you know, one of the traditions around our place, Marilyn makes Danish pastries for... Christmas morning, and they're special because that's about the only time she makes them. You know, if we started having them every week, I'd be a happy man, but it wouldn't be special as it is at Christmas. And caramels, um, you have to wait until after Thanksgiving, and then it's a family thing. Who makes the first batch of caramels? Hey, we made our first batch of caramels. Did you? No, we haven't got to it yet. But we just make um, batches of caramels all through the Christmas season. And so when I looked at that, and I saw there was only a couple rows left. And last night, there wasn't even one row left, all right? And I said, we're going to have to make another batch And my wife said, we can't do that. It's after Christmas. My Bible does not say that you can't make caramels after Christmas. But it's really special because it's at a limited time. And then, you know, then it's a little depressing if you're brave enough to go get on the scale after Christmas, you know. Um, That can be depressing as well. And um, they tell us that Christmas season is really a time that many, many people battle with um, depression. And after all the Christmas anticipation and the rush and, and people coming and then people leaving, um, it's like, okay, now what? And even when you think about Christ, Christ came and we're remembering His resurrection, I mean, His birth and looking forward at Easter to His resurrection that we'll be celebrating. And we're familiar with the aspect that uh, Acts chapter 1, that He ascended. And He told the disciples, He said, it's needful for me that I go away. 
And think of how they must have felt. I think it's similar to the after Christmas. I mean, they'd sat and listened to him teach and saw him perform miracles. And, and then he said, I have to leave. And it's important because if I don't leave, uh, the Holy Spirit won't come. And the Holy Spirit is what's going to empower you and so on and so forth. And and it's almost like, okay, Christ is gone. And we understand the Holy Spirit has come. But you know, we often forget about what Christ is doing now. And, and I want us today to look at, at this aspect. We know the Bible tells us many things about, about Christ. That He is the door. He is the light. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. And so on. And, and we see all these manifested in His earthly ministry. But what is, what is Christ doing now? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would. <clears throat> and notice verse 18. We're just going to begin at verse 18 and um, use this as an introduction to our thoughts today. Paul is praying for the believers at Ephesus and he said, I'm, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the workings of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and have put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, this gives us a little snapshot into Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And verse 20, And now has set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Sometimes we get the picture that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father like, Okay, I did my work. And I'm just waiting till you say, go back. Jesus Christ, when it says He is seated at the right hand of the Father, it doesn't mean that He's retired. It doesn't mean that He's gone on vacation. It means that sitting at the right hand of God speaks of authority and power, and universal ruling. After He made the ultimate sacrifice and provided for the forgiveness of sins and met the demands of the Holy God, it now says in Ephesians that God has put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. 
So we say, okay, Christ came, we've celebrated His birth, we know about His resurrection, we know about His ascension. What is Jesus doing now? Now what? What is He doing? Jesus said in John 14, He said to the disciples, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And He told us all this so that we wouldn't be troubled. Oh, things are out of control. What's going on? We don't know. He says, no. I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father. We also understand that that, as we mentioned, bears the authority that He has. But how does He exercise this authority? And what is it that He's doing? Also in John, we read that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the chief shepherd. What we're going to look at today could almost come under this heading, but we're going to use it as point number one. Jesus Christ is shepherding us. He is the chief shepherd. I, over the years, have come to value more and more the shepherding care of our Father. A shepherd is given to lead the sheep. A shepherd's ministry is to feed the sheep. And a shepherd's ministry is to protect the sheep. In leading the sheep, he provides correction, encouragement. He provides a place for the sheep to rest. He leads them in places where uh, they will be fed. A shepherd in the Middle East was asked once, What is the hardest part of being a shepherd? And he quickly responded. He said, The hardest part of being a shepherd is getting the sheep to know, I am the shepherd and they are not. And that's really true with us in Christ. The sooner we learn that Jesus Christ desires and is shepherding us, and that it's not us that needs to run ahead and scout things out and decide and determine, the Lord is my shepherd. We're all familiar with Psalm 23, but is it really true? Is it we are following Him? Are we letting Him lead us and shepherd us? It's the very shepherd's presence that leads to green pastures and refreshing waters and anointing oil. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. When the sheep actually come to trust the shepherd, They value the presence of the shepherd. They look to the presence of the shepherd. They long for the presence of the shepherd. And as the shepherd psalmist said, In your presence 
His fullness of joy at your right hand, there are indeed pleasures forevermore. One of the things that Christ is doing today, He is the, sh- the chief shepherd. But turn to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would. We want to see another aspect of His ministry here today. And every one of these points, a whole series could be done. But we are, we are taking a flyover, if you please, to remind us and hopefully encourage our hearts that regardless of how uh, ominous the clouds may appear over the next coming year, regardless of what circumstances we may be facing today, our hearts should be encouraged at the ministry that Christ is carrying on right now. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our fast, our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ is a living, active high priest on our behalf. And the writer of Hebrews says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has experienced anything and way beyond anything that we could possibly experience. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He is interceding on our behalf. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And notice if you'd look in verse 25 in reference to Christ. As I said, we're, we're kind of taking a fly over here, but I want us to, to see these points. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever lives to make intercession for us. The word intercession is used there. It's intervening between two parties that... it with the view of bringing their, reconciling their differences. That's why Jesus Christ came, to pay the penalty so our difference with God could be reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. And He is interceding on our behalf. He is pleading our cause before the Father. He has paid the penalty. 1 John chapter 2 says that He is our Advocate. It is like He is our, our lawyer representing our case before the Father. He is interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, He offered this sacrifice once for all so that we are now accepted in the Beloved. You are not accepted before God because of how you've lived this last year. You are accepted only in Jesus Christ, and He is our great High Priest. He is interceding on our behalf. Think of it. God knows you personally, 
He cares for you personally, and He is your personal advocate before the Father. He is a living, active high priest. He is also, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, He is also a heavenly lover. Now, I understand that in our day, the term lover has many connotations, but I think it's very, very important for us to understand that Jesus Christ loves us in a way that we cannot imagine. God put romance into creation. He put it into the heart of man and woman and into His Word. God invented the idea of romance. The Bible begins right out of the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3 with the marriage. And some of the last chapters of the Bible deal with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus began His ministry performing uh, miracles and references to the bridegroom, and He ended up talking about us being His bride. But God is the definition, He is the epitome of genuine love, and He designed marriage, a husband and a wife, to portray... His love for us. Notice Ephesians chapter 5, and if you'd look in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy And without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Notice what it says. Husbands, love your wives. And then he brings this analogy. As Christ loves the church. We tend to get this idea that that Christ is some far off individual of history And, yeah, He loves me. He provided forgiveness of sins for me. Do you understand? Jesus Christ has called us to a relationship. It's a love relationship. He is looking, in the purest sense, He is looking for lovers, not maids. He is looking for intimate companions, not just servants. He is looking for something far beyond mandatory obedience. He desires voluntary lovers who are captured by His love. We love Him because He first loved us. And I believe many times our Christianity has fallen into, okay, i got to obey God. No, I love Him. It's a love relationship. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing to see. And if you see a little more glowing around here, 
Um, Andrew and Sammy just got engaged the other day, and Cole and Mariah just got engaged on Christmas Eve, right? Now, if you look at, at these couples and, well, I guess i got to prepare for a wedding, you'd think, wait a minute here, something's wrong. They're dreaming, they're looking forward to, they're preparing. Why? It's a love relationship. I have chosen you, and you have chosen me, and... Well, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess we better plan a wedding. Not real cracked up about it, but guys don't ever give that impression, all right? God does not want you as a faithful servant. He wants you much more than that. You are His bride. And He today is wooing and and drawing and bringing together His bride that we'll touch on in just a moment. A.W. Tozer said, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you the most. This this last year, um, the one word that that I picked for one word for the year that the Lord led me to was the word love. And through it, um, this last year, I I have learned a lot about love, and I I have learned I am in kindergarten in the love school, maybe K four. All right. That's where I really know that I am because compared to God's love and, and just in understanding what God talks about love here, uh, falling so far short from that. But God's love, we love Him because He first loved us. And our Christian walk should be a, a walk of love that's reciprocal with God. And He is in the business of loving you today. And, and He manifests His love in many, many ways. He is today the heavenly lover. And, and we can learn much about God's nature when we follow His plan as a husband and wife as He gives us in the Bible. So He is the chief shepherd. He is the great high priest, the active high priest. He is the heavenly lover, but what is, what is Jesus Christ doing today? In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, He said, I will build My church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build My ecclesia, My called out assembly. I will build My believers. Do you understand the church is the fiancé of the Son of God? I mean, do you understand that? I mean, it's not like these, these young ladies who, who were proposed to this, this week now walk around hiding the ring. No. Did you get a ring? Yeah, I got a ring. 
They are the fiancé of, of Cole and Andrew. They are the fiancé of Cole. And not that they did that, but I mean, it is something to be happy in and, and rejoicing in. We are the bride of Christ as believers. He, he is pursuing us. He has chosen us. And, and He is preparing us for the marriage of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. The church. And He is waiting to marry her. Some of you... That doesn't compute in your mind, but it's, it's the absolute truth. The marriage supper of the Lamb is the marriage of Jesus Christ to the church. The church is the most important thing to God that exists today. The first and most important result of Christ's ascension is the birth of the church. And in Ephesians chapter 1 that we read earlier, Christ is the head of the church. What we have today is many people seek to submit to the lordship of Christ without submitting to the headship of Christ. Um, Let's see. You three young ladies, could you come up here and help me illustrate this? Okay. And um, Andrew, why don't you come up here? All right, they're going to represent, I just picked them because they are right here close, okay? They're going to represent the church. Andrew is going to represent God, okay? I'm going to represent a believer. I want to submit to the Lordship of Christ. So I want to do what God wants me to do. But He is also the head of the church, back over here again. I cannot submit to the Lordship of Christ and reject His church. I'm not saying the building. I'm not saying... I'm saying the people. Do you know what? I submit to the Lordship of Christ and God says, okay, if you're a follower of me, come over here and learn to love these people. You've got to be kidding me. And so we say, oh God, I love you so much. He says, show me how much you love me by loving these people. And you know what? We as people are hard to love, aren't we? But we're not near as hard to love as it is for Him to love us. And the only way we can love them is to love Him. So I cannot say, man, I love you so much. And he says, here, let me introduce you to my fiance. Oh, man, really? And that's what he does. He yanks me back and he says, if you love me, you will love those that love me. Do you understand? This isn't about going to a a church service every Sunday morning. This is about... Christ is at work today in building His bride, and He's doing it through us. The same thing is with them. He's called them to love the rest of us. But see, I can't separate His Lordship and His Headship. He is the head of the what? The church. 
And it is imperative for us to understand uh, submission to the headship of Christ believes God is not only the Lord of personal lives, but He is the head of the church. Thank you. You can sit down, all right? In understanding, um, we talked in the men's Sunday school class, being involved in people's lives gets messy. It does. But that's what He gives us the grace for. Um, Christ being involved in our life gets pretty messy, doesn't it, from His perspective? But this is what, you want to know what Christ is doing? What Christ is doing today is He is building the bride. And He calls us to submit to His Lordship and His Headship. He is also at work today preparing and refining His people. Christ speaks of His second coming when He will establish the government of God on earth and He will give positions of rulership to His followers. Jesus Christ today is training His advanced team of leaders to rule under Him during His kingdom. A world-ruling supergovernment during the millennial reign. But God will only give that leadership to those who have been properly trained and proven for such a task. Jesus said, if you've been faithful over little, I'll make you ruler over much. So we go through life and we say, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did this event come into my life? And God says, I'm purifying you. I'm developing you. I'm preparing you to rule someday. So, this is a test. This is the practice. And He says, how you respond. God is orchestrating and leading in our lives events that give us an opportunity to develop spiritually to be purified, to be refined, to grow as He is the author and finisher of our faith. He brought us to salvation, and now He says, we need to finish this. Let's sand this off. This part needs... uh, We need to knock that chip off there. I need to bring some things in that will purify and purge and cleanse and strengthen and deepen your faith so that someday you will be able to rule properly in my kingdom. If all there was was this life, we would be most miserable. God is preparing us for what He is preparing us for. And the best is yet to come. And He brings things into our life that we never would have chosen. And we'd say, why, God, did you bring this into my life? And God says, you need this. It will develop you if you respond right. It will strengthen you. It will help you understand my heart. It will help you see my ways. It will prepare you that I can trust you. It will prepare you to rule with me.
as the author. He is finishing our faith. He is the chief shepherd. He is the active high priest interceding on our behalf. He is the faithful, exuberant, heavenly lover. He is building His church today. That's what He is doing. He is finishing our faith, refining us. And indeed, He is ready and waiting to come as King. In the fullness of time, He came the first time. And in the fullness of time, He will be coming the second time. And when the Father says, it's now time, He is waiting and ready, and only the Father knows the time of that. But as I thought on these things, I thought, I personally, I have no idea of what, I was going to say 2015 holds. I don't have any idea what this afternoon holds. But I have a high priest interceding on my behalf. That gives me comfort and joy. I have the perfect shepherd leading me. If I will just follow him, I'll have no one. I am called to a relationship with the perfect lover. And even though I have these faults, He loves me and He's drawing me to Him. And someday I will be the bride of Christ. And He's building His church and He's called me to be a part of it. Not as a pastor, but as a believer. And He's called you as a believer to be a part of that and and to learn from others and and to help others and, and to minister one to another. And He's taking all these events of our lives. I mean, everything in life. Today, I left early, come to church, got in the little Honda, shifting, going down the hill, shift into third, going up the hill. Everything's done. I thought, what? This is weird. Downshift into second, nothing. All the gauge lights come on, pull over to the side, Turns over, nothing. I was leaving early because we have Dan and Kara here and everything's going on. I thought, I'm going to get there early today. We're bringing several cars. God said, no. Does God care about a little junk Honda? Probably not. (laughs) Because it doesn't have a soul, but he cares about this person and he uses little things like that. That, And I understand that's a minor, minuscule thing. But he uses it to teach us about him. I don't know what all he's going to teach me. But I don't care what event has come in your life, whether it's losing your keys or whether it is a major, major event that is life-changing. God is in control. And He is at work. We don't serve a God that's just sitting up there at the right hand of the Father. When will this be over? He is active today in your life. If you have responded to His call to salvation, and you respond to Him, you can rest in the fact. All things 
work together for good to them that love God. It's a love relationship and are committed to his purpose. What a joy it is to rest in that. And to me, to look ahead to the next year, if we make it to the next year, it's, it's with comfort to know God is in control. And Jesus didn't just come and die and rise again and wait helplessly in the background. He is at work in my life today, and He loves me with an everlasting love. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged as we just take a glimpse at a few of the things that you are doing today. Lord, I pray for that soul that has never responded to the call of your love and never welcomed your love to their heart. Lord, I pray today they would bow the knee to you. And then, Lord, I pray for believers here today. I pray that we would submit to Your Lordship and Your Headship. Lord, I pray that we would understand that You are at work in our lives and and that we would submit and rejoice. Lord, I pray that we would clearly understand and be encouraged and strengthened in our faith at what you are doing today, that you ever live to make intercession on our behalf. Lord, I know that as believers we look forward to the day that you will come again, but until then, may our hearts be encouraged to know that you are at work. May our hearts be filled with love for You to know that we are the fiancé of You, that we are the bride of Christ by faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would receive much glory as our faith grows in You. For we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.